Well, there we have it. Just like that, the summer has just got really, really interesting for Norwich City. Sporting director Stuart Webber is to depart the club. We don't quite know when uh, as of yet, but a statement uh, via the club's official channels on Tuesday at lunchtime revealed that the sporting director has resigned as of March. He's currently serving a 12-month notice period, although I think we'd all probably be really shocked if Stuart Webber uh, was in post by uh, by March, to be honest. I think we're probably expecting him to leave before then. There's lots in terms of the mechanics, in terms of the future, in terms of legacy as to where we go from here. And we're going to dissect all of that and more. This is an emergency edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Connor Southwell, and we're joined by Samuel Seaman. And we've drafted Paddy Davitt off the sunbed to join us. Uh, he is... Um, on holiday as, as things stand and those watching the video might be able to see a nice glow from from Paddy's face I mean Paddy you, you enjoying your time off this probably wasn't in the schedule for you was it really definitely wasn't in the schedule Connor and just to correct you if I if only I was on a sun lounger where I've been today a staycation uh, put that out there second week of two and uh at the moment I think the club released it to give a paint a picture for our audience I was up a stepladder with a <laughs> Uh, strimmer, one of them electric strimmers, trying to get some hard-to-reach branches on top of my garage while my wife held the ladder and basically was shouting at me to be careful. Um, so it wasn't exactly JFK and the grassy knoll, but uh, you know, in the Norwich world, big news no less. And then I came inside a morning in the garden to a barrage of various messages. And um, yeah, it, very interesting. Very interesting for you boys. I'm quite glad to just be not in the garden, frankly, for part two this afternoon because it's a bit too hot, really. It's a bit stupid. I think it's touching 30 here in Norwich today. So uh, if if an hour with you boys has saved me another session in the garden, then that's, that's a win all round. But um, yeah, no, big news, huge news, huge news. Not, if I'm honest, a surprise. Um, I was speaking to somebody only as recent as Saturday who's very well connected in that football club, and they said it was regarding whether, when, rather than if. Um, and also went on to say, and it would appear to be the case that it won't be Adams picking up the baton uh, in terms of you know taking it on from him as a sporting director. That, that seems to be implicit in the statements that come out from the club. Um, so that isn't a surprise, but I think the timing is, and the timing obviously throws up a whole host of questions, which we'll, we'll delve into. But uh, I'm not I'm not surprised at this news because I think. And what I've done, what I've done in the intervening period of since the news was announced two, three hours ago, is kind of gone back and replayed a lot of, you know, our fifty-minute sit-down with him towards the end of the, well, the end of last season, um, as part of that media round he did, and now we're armed with this context, wrapping up round some of the things he, he said about him and his future, and I could be gone next week, next month, next year. That seems quite pertinent now, and one or two other bits and pieces, which we're, again we'll get into in due course, but uh, not surprised. Um, with the announcement in terms of Stuart Webber to move on. But the timing, I think, does throw up a few questions. And, um, you know, as I say, we'll, we'll get into that discussion in due course. But maybe I should throw that back to you, you two boys. What, what, what was your immediate reaction to the news today? Yeah, well, let's bring bring Sam in on on that point. I mean, we're still going, which is uh, which is good because it's, it's been really manic, as you as you would imagine. Um Sam, I mean, let's let's bring you in on that point. What's what's kind of your initial reaction to this? As as Paddy says, they're probably not the biggest surprise in the world, but an absolutely massive Norwich City story by by all accounts, and probably the timing is the one that I guess throws up the most questions at this moment in time. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. Really, 
for me, the last two summers, I thought it wouldn't be a surprise if Stuart Webber was to leave the club. But um, I think on both of those occasions, I've got to a point where I think, OK, now it's too late. And um, after Norwich have already signed three players, really wasn't when I expected this announcement to come. So I would be interested to know sort of why that's been done. Um, you think it, it might be maybe to do with the replacement and how that search is going and how close that might be. But um, yeah, I, I thought as much as at the end of last season, I thought Stuart Webber's future was probably up in the air a little bit. I had probably closed my my mind off until the last few days that, that Webber would be at this club um, for the next season at least. But yeah, I think it, it feels like absolutely huge news apart from the um, Atanasio investment last year. This feels like the biggest news to come out of Norwich City for a long, long time because you know you think about what are the biggest changes in a football club, and you probably think about the manager. And this is the guy that appoints and and fires the manager. So um, yeah, it really is quite a, a momentous occasion in the recent history of Norwich City Football Club. Probably, and I think. In ways, it's an opportunity to look back on what Stuart Webber's achieved and what the club have achieved in his time um, at Norwich. But it's also an exciting time because although there's not a lot of certainty at the moment and it feels like things could go either way, I think after the staleness of last season and the feeling that the club was sort of slightly directionless, the idea of somebody else, somebody external coming in with their own ideas and um, sort of taking charge of an upheaval, in, maybe in a similar way to to what Webber did um, when he arrived. I think that is quite an exciting prospect for Norwich City fans. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing who they replace him with and what sort of direction that takes them in. But there are certainly a lot of questions to be answered and I'm sure we'll get into that. But just look at the fact they've already recruited some players. David Wagner is certainly a head coach that Stuart Webber will have wanted to work with. You wonder who at the club already knew that he was planning on leaving. And um, yeah, I think there are... It, it, probably gives you more questions than answers but one thing I can say for sure is that it feels like an absolutely momentous occasion in the recent history of, of Norwich City and I think most Norwich fans would have been not necessarily shocked but you know how you react to, to big news in that sort of um, it feels like a bit of a surprise even if it's not actually one and, and that was certainly how I felt when the there started to be hints that this news might be coming so um yeah, I'm, I'm mainly interested to see where things go from here, but also an opportunity to, to look back on what's been a, a, a very up and down period in Norwich City's football club, Norwich City football club's history. I think. Yes, don't worry. It's the weariness of today. I can, uh, I can completely <laughs> relate to that. I'm sure there'll be more than one slip up in, uh, on this podcast. So it's, uh, I think it's important right from the outset to maybe uh, go through the, the timeline of events and, and how things have unfolded. Um, uh, I'm not talking about today necessarily, but certainly beforehand. So in, in the international break in March, as, as, as we understand it, Stuart Webber uh, paid a visit to the House of Majority Shareholders, Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones, announced his intention to resign from his post as sporting director. That then obviously triggered, uh, which subsequently was accepted, that then triggered a 12-month notice period that he has to serve as a result of his rolling contract, which essentially would mean that he would technically have to remain at Norwich City until March 2024. Uh, as I said right from the outset, I'm not sure any of us are expecting him to be in post for that long from here. Um, there are two events that could mean that that 
uh, notice period gets cut down, the first of which being Norwich City appoint a successor, in which case they would have to, I, I presume, I don't have this confirmed, but uh, speculating really, I would presume there would be some payment due to, to Stuart Weber for the rest of his notice period. And obviously there would be a, a period probably of around two weeks where a handover took place between sporting directors. So that's plan A in, in that case. Norwich City are obviously three months into a, a search for a, a sporting director replacement I suppose and that is being led by uh, by the board of directors as Stuart Webber's appointment was initially and then the the flip side of that the plan b or the the option b route b is that Stuart Webber himself gets a, a fresh opportunity obviously there are heavy links at this moment in time to Leeds United which is his uh, boyhood club I don't think that's a, a massive secret at this stage also some reports out there from Sky Sports and and um, uh, and the Telegraph and others that there's a, a unnamed La Liga side as well showing interest and we know Stuart Webber has or had certainly held a desire at one stage to go and work abroad and work in Spain in particular. So that's a, another interesting one. So if, if that scenario was to take place, Norwich would be due compensation for the period between now and March, essentially, or whenever he left and March, and obviously would then have to replace a, a sporting director anyway. So those are the two scenarios that can play out from here, essentially. We probably expect one of them too. As I'm sat here today, it doesn't feel like Stuart Webber is particularly close at this stage to a fresh challenge, although football moves very rapidly, so you can never rule anything out. Um, three months into a recruitment process, you would imagine Norwich City are well into a search for a replacement. So I would probably at this stage expect Route A to, to take place um, before Route B. And, and and the other point worth, again, stressing at the, at the outset, which I'll bring you in, on Paddy, I think most people have expected for a long time that when Stuart Webber did eventually step down, when this day did come, it would be Neil Adams that stepped into his shoes, someone who's been his deputy since 2021, obviously served as loans manager and then got promoted into the role of assistant sporting director in 2021. Um, that's not to be the case. He's going to take up the role of technical director, which means a lot of different things in a lot of different models to a lot of different clubs. And we don't fully know what the remits of his role will be other than to work closely with the, the footballing sides of the business and I guess his role maybe will be dictated to by whoever the, the new sporting director is and that will be an external um, appointment. So on those two points, first obviously Neil Adams' role within the structure and secondly the external route that Norwich City are going down, what's kind of your, your thoughts on that? It probably feels like it needed to be an external voice given how closely Neil Adams and, and Stuart Webber have worked together over the, the last two years in the view of some people. Do you concur? Um, well, I mean, ultimately, my reading of it would be, you know, whether Neil has indicated himself that that's not, you know, a, a, a path that he wishes to travel down. I mean, it was it was very clear when he was originally appointed as his, Stuart's assistant that that wasn't a succession plan. That we got that from very highly up inside the football club. So, if you take that as the starting point for this part of the debate that then then it's just it's just an evolutionary process nothing has changed it, it's not he was the heir apparent and then it, it's no longer going to be the case if we take the context of today's statements from the club so um and until of course this whole thing plays out and we know primarily who the the incoming sporting director is um where Neil fits into the equation, you know, the technical director, I've already seen it made mention, you know, what, how does that work with a sporting director? And as you rightly say, Connor, we can't do anything other than hypothesize because if you don't know who the person is who's coming in, you don't know what their thoughts are on the matter in terms of the structure, the people they want. A lot of questions getting asked about the head coach. Now, where does David Wagner fit into this equation? Um, to draw a pertinent parallel when Stuart Webber came in, what was the first, one of the first acts he did 
to go and get his own man, that man being Daniel Farker, uh, an absolutely key working relationship that powered those um, really good times in the first few years of the Web- of the Weber era. So is the incumbent going to be happy to come in and have imposed upon him in that regard, um, a head coach who he hasn't appointed? Does he share the same philosophy? The point Sam makes about recruitment, that's getting pointed out, you know, that, that you've basically got a guy doing the recruitment at the moment and very much doing it as well. My understanding is he was firmly in uh, at the forefront, driving the, the Duffy deal, driving Stacey, driving, um, remind me, I've been on holiday, who's the third, Duff, uh, Duffy, isn't it? And Barnes, sorry. Yeah. Barnes, um, even to the point where, you know, he was he was in Manchester, he was in the Northwest doing Barnes, he was down in London doing Stacey and Duffy. Um, very hands-on. This, this isn't uh, three months since as you rightly said, kind of late March, where he's been very hands-off and maybe the baton's already being passed. He, he's still front and centre driving the recruitment in tandem with David Wagner, clearly, in terms of what they've identified and what Stuart is trying to deliver. So that's that, that's a, that's an area that, that I'm, I'm sure a lot of fans today with this news will be asking, well, how can that be that, that you've got a guy who's essentially driving the strategy, but then is going to swiftly, if, if this moves at a pace, move move it on to somebody else who's incoming. Do they share the same views in terms of strategy when it comes to recruitment? So this is where it gets very hypothetical at this stage because we've only had the news confirmed today officially. Um, and you would like to think that, you know, while we're reacting to this today, that, that the club and the people who matter inside the club who are shaping this transitional period from the top down, well, they've had three months to, to, to start to put structures in place and um, processes. So, you know, while it is a, a reactionary outlook in the media and among the fan base, uh, you'd like to think they're a long way down the road with what they want, what they're trying to do, the people they're trying to identify. And that might be, I mean, to take it back to your point about the timing of this, you know, is it because something's happening in terms of Stuart and a, a potential new opportunity? Well, all I'll do is take you back to, I'm looking at it here now on my screen, you know, the, the club's statement, uh, which includes the Weber quotes, and uh, this one is the most pertinent one for me, where he says, quote, I look forward to the next chapter and helping as much or as little in this transition over the coming months. The board know they have my unwavering support. That doesn't smack of a guy who's ready to jump ship, be it Leeds, be it La Liga, wherever. So, you know, it, for me, maybe the timing is related to Quite clearly, if there's now a process underway to recruit externally, it wouldn't be very, very long before that then began to ripple out. And and it was clear that Norwich were in the market for a sporting director. And if they hadn't got ahead of that curve and, and already announced that the, the current incumbent is on his way, then so for me, the timing of it's more related to that than anything that it might mean for Stuart Weber and his next move. But by the by, it, it still at this stage leaves a lot of things open for debate in terms of the direction of travel uh, and the individuals currently here below Stuart, i.e. David Wagner and, uh, and Neil Adams, to name but two, what their roles are moving forward. Because I, I'm pretty sure if Stuart Webber had come in back in 2017 and, and had been told you're going to be working with this head coach, these are the people you're working with, he'd have probably turned around and said, well, that's not for me. That's not what I want. I want to come in, clean sheet of paper and really shake things up as he did. So, why would a potential successor not want the same opportunity? So all of that is fascinating. You know, the dynamic of this in play now. Um, and of course, you know, we'll all have to wait and see how it unfolds. But uh, yeah, no, in, in regards to Neil Adams specifically, then 
remains to be seen. Is he part of this longer term or is he again just part of the transition period? Yeah, and 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 lots of mechanic or the mechanical issues of this, I guess, is is interesting, and we'll, we will get into David Wagner in a little bit more detail. But that point on on the transfer window, Sam, is an interesting one. It's a a point that you know we've 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 put to people and kind of had it back that well, this window was signed off anyway, and all the work has been done in advance, and the targets have been agreed. So whether it was Stuart Weber or whether it was anyone else, the window would look pretty much as it has done at this moment in time. Now, whether you believe that or not is entirely up to you, but that's that's um, that's kind of what we're hearing. But that point that, that Paddy raises, and I guess that the wider question that it raises when Norwich City have a sporting director at the moment and a head coach as well, so maybe we'll, we'll come on to David Wagner a little bit, and they're recruiting for a specific style of play, for a specific head coach, then changing a, a sporting director when, you know, as Paddy has alluded to there, we saw how Stuart Webber approached it. We've seen how other sporting directors at other clubs approach it as well, where they like to uh, make their mark particularly on that appointment because that is directly to them. Um, it maybe does conflict with maybe this this idea that Norwich City have a, a coherent plan at this moment in time. I mean, what, what would you kind of say about that kind of backdrop of uncertainty against what they're doing at the moment, which is trying to sort of turn the, the page, so to speak, and create a fresh look to their to their squad. It does raise, as Paddy said there, lots, of, and, and as we will repeat throughout this podcast, lots and lots of questions about their direction of travel at the moment. Yeah, I do agree, really. And we spoke, I think, a few times towards the back end of last season about how Norwich couldn't find themselves in a situation where they lurch from head coach to head coach with no responsibility on, on them at the back end of every season because obviously they went from a situation where Dean Smith was pretty much um, he wasn't the subject of any criticism because it wasn't his squad they weren't his players and the players weren't good enough when they were in the Premier League then it turned out that he wasn't the right man and David Wagner had very little responsibility on him when he took over and that's why it would feel like really awkward timing now to change the head coach again um, especially given how much talk has been about sort of the project and how much work they're going to do in the summer. And if you think about it, it feels quite strange actually looking back on how much we heard from Wagner about the churn this summer and how many changes they were going to make and how excited he was for it when the sporting director in charge of those changes had already tendered his, his resignation from the position. So in that sense, it does feel really very awkward and quite a difficult position um, for Norwich City to be in. But I suppose what they would say is that they've got a blank slate now where they can go out and, and recruit a sporting director that suits how they are now. And they, they can recruit a sporting director that maybe could work with David Wagner, that might want to work with a coach that's about pressing and maybe likes experience in a squad. And it could be interviewing people and not only thinking about the potential sporting directors career path and, and how successful they've been throughout their time in football but also how they might suit where things already are with Norwich and I, I'm not saying that's the best approach because I think the one they took with Stuart Webber in 2017 where it was basically him coming in and, and doing a root and branch overhaul of how the club operated, I think that worked really, really well for Norwich and they were arguably on the pitch, not in as much crisis as they are now. I think that team that he came in and dismantled was better than the one they've got now and the one that they ended last season with. So, 
yeah, I'm not sure that is the best approach. And you raise a, a very valid issue. And I would be quite worried about that as a Norwich fan. Um, but equally, they maybe don't have that much... Well, they definitely don't have much choice in the matter if Stuart Webber wants to resign and he wants to serve that 12-month notice period. There's nothing they can do to stop him. They agreed that rolling contract. And um, it's up to them now to, to sort of sort it out. But if they get the right appointment, then they will probably it will probably look like someone who can work with David Wagner and can and does think that those experienced players like Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, Jack Stacey, obviously they've been with Ryan Fraser, um, and he's one we understand they're interested in. Somebody who is keen to work with that profile of player. I think the ideal sporting director for them at the moment is that person who also has a proven track record of being successful at this level and, and well, maybe not exactly this level, but in similar situations. And my main concern is whether that person exists and and would come to Norwich because that's a lot of criteria that they've now got to find themselves. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what direction it's going in, but I'm not necessarily optimistic about the quality of appointment that they'll be able to get. It, it is an interesting one because I, I know there's been a lot of attention on uh, the players that they signed so far that um, Paddy listed earlier, Stacey Barnes, Duffy, which, you know, I think if you combine their name, you get an ITV crime drama from from two policemen, but that's that's a separate point. Um, those players who will have signed, probably knowing that, that Stuart Webber was departing anyway, I think that maybe that's that's overblown a little bit because players sign four clubs knowing that in three months' time, the head coach could be drastically different, the outlook could be drastically different. I think they... They look at an opportunity based on playing time, the contract that's put on front of them. I, I don't think they necessarily worry about the name of an office door or someone that they're, they're going to see regarding issues. I think they just see whoever is, is there at the time. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily subscribe to that view. I think the David Wagner element, though, Pad, is more interesting because, again, we, we mentioned the word questions. It raises questions about when exactly he, he knew that, that Stuart Webber was going to take this decision. He was only appointed in January, I think, as, as we kind of... Gavar or has been intimated he didn't necessarily know that this was coming at that point presumably he did though before um, Stuart Webber took that that journey to see the majority shareholders and obviously subsequently he he knows now um, raises two two points I guess which is what well, a one that probably he can only answer which is what does he make of it and B is it's interesting because this isn't the first time that kind of Stuart Webber's done it to him really I mean it happened also at Huddersfield a fresh opportunity arose just as they were on the brink of of real success and he departed then for a, a fresh opportunity which I know Wagner stayed subsequently but again as as working relationships and he made it clear in that uh, unveiling press conference and has done subsequently he went into bat for Stuart Webber amongst a lot of criticism towards the end of last season he came to Norwich City because of Stuart Webber, essentially, and because of the prospect of working with him again. So he's on a rolling deal as well. All of that that we've added in about a new sporting director perhaps wanting to head in a new direction. What does this say for him and, and for his future? And what do you think he'll be making of this situation at present? Well, well <laughs> pass on the last point. I mean, who knows? I, I mean, he'll be fully in the loop and will have been, so it won't come as a shock to him, I'm sure. But to take that back a stage, if potentially now this scenario plays out and accelerates and Stuart Webber's gone this summer, if you're Norwich City Football Club, do you then want to overlay a new head coach appointment on top of a new sporting director? No way. Absolutely not. I mean, a turbulent summer would then go off off the deep end. Um, if you're going into a, a championship season off the back of a 13th place finish with so many questions um, surrounding the football club on the playing side, and we'll get into that a bit more maybe when we unpack Webber's legacy overall, but in terms of the playing side, Major issues there, major issues. And um, 
and I don't think that would would be resolved quickly if if you're looking for a new head coach as well as a sporting director. So I would imagine the now ongoing search for Weber's replacement um, will have Wagner in the equation um, because it makes absolutely no sense uh, to to embark on you know essentially your two key footballing figureheads and removing them in the same summer transfer window and expecting that not to disrupt quite heavily um, what Norwich are trying to do next season in a very, very, as we've already said on previous podcasts, competitive-looking championship. If you look at the three who came down and the three who've gone up, notably Ipswich. So um, Wagner, for me, is part of the equation. And also, and you touched on it, Connor, the fact that Weber did this to him before at Huddersfield and what happened, he stayed. And at the end of the following season, he was a Premier League manager because he'd taken Huddersfield up via the playoffs. So if you're David Wagner, you, you, you've been here before. You've not been, you know, you've been jilted before to use that terminology and uh, and you got yourself back to the aisle and, uh, and everything was rosy. So I, I don't, and he's an experienced coach as well. You know, it, it, that's worth reiterating. You know, he's had a lot of managerial experience now. And um, just to a, add it, Sorry, just to add into that, uh, his time at Schalke, he, he he had a lot of turbulence. There were a lot of yeah. people in a lot. I know, obviously, it didn't maybe pan out as well, but he has that experience of people leaving positions, both with Weber before and and the other clubs as uh, as well. So I guess all of this, there's maybe that feeling that he can take in his stride a little bit. Exactly, in comparison to a you know a, a, a very raw, inexperienced head coach who may be blown off course by this to a degree. Um, and as I say, this won't come as a surprise to him. He will have known. This is in train, as he would have done. The players were getting released, as he would have done, because he was integral to all these processes. The players that they want to bring in, and the three they've already attracted, and and then the other bits of transfer business that they're trying to do. You know, he is a key stakeholder in this equation. So I, I'm less concerned about the Wagner element, um, but that's all well and good. You know, if if it was packaged, the, the new incoming. Sporting director is quite happy to work with David, and they you can you can almost hear the sound bites now that the unveiling that they they share the same footballing philosophies, and um, you know they can they can have a positive working relationship, but there'll always be that now as this as this develops. If it is Wagner remaining in post, that he isn't Wagner's man, and if things don't go well um, in terms of results and performances, then that becomes a bigger issue. But that's you know that's down the track. I think in the here and now, what does it mean for Wagner? Um, probably what it means for those players, what it means for the fan base. You know, it's it's all about who this football club now identify as the inheritor of of Weber's legacy. And and you would think, and again it was reiterated in, in the, the the warmness of the the the, the words from Delia and, and Michael Wynne Jones in their club statement that, you know, it's a huge act to follow. But but I think they've paraphrasing was one of the most influential figures in the club or whatever in the club's history. So to for them, clearly they hit on a winner with Stuart Webber in terms of the the mo the model of what they were looking for and the attributes and so why would they veer away from that? So I think they'll be looking for and probably with hopefully Stuart's input, somebody cast in the same mould. Now that's easier said than done. And as Sam said, you know that you look across the game and where are those people who are also going to be attracted to what's potentially the job in hand at Carrow Road? You know some really positive elements to to this this club but there's also some issues that need to be worked through and we all can see that um, in terms of on the pitch and the squad and the, and the churn that needs to happen with the, the players so you know I think the club will now be looking for as I say somebody very similar in, in terms of outlook and approach to a Stuart Webber uh, and if that is a successful um, recruitment 
then you would think they would be able to work with a David Wagner because it's sort of like-minded individuals trying to strive for the same thing and maybe sharing the same beliefs and the same outlook on football and, and what they're striving to do. So right here, right now, I, I wouldn't overplay the Wagner element. I think, um, you know, he will have known fully that this was in train from certainly March onwards and probably a little bit before that because the way Weber works, the trust that he he tries to, to build in terms of those key relationships. He had it with Farker. He had it previously with Wagner and then rekindled it in January here at Carr Road. He will have known that this point was coming. Again, maybe the timing has caught everybody a little off guard and and, and as things play out, we'll, we'll maybe get a better appreciation of why now. Um, but I, I don't think he really needs to worry too much at this stage because, you know, whoever comes in to do Stuart Webber's job, I don't think they're going to go from one extreme to the other. It's going to be, if they can achieve it, it's going to be a very evolutionary process for me, I think. Yeah, and, and you would imagine a portion of it, as was the case with Stuart Webber, will be assessing what is already at the club. So uh, Stuart Webber took over in what March-April time, didn't he, in 2017, and basically took that period between then and the summer to to really get a grip of the club, which I guess is is, is the point made in, in the club statement about handover and transitions and, and all of that type of thing. Before we, we move on to his, his legacy, Sam, I mean, we've kind of touched upon, and, and sorry, I will just um, add as well, um, Obviously, uh, Zoe Weber, who is the, the club's executive director, uh, no plans for her to depart. Um, he or she is uh, planning to, to stay at the club, as I think Stuart Weber has intimated would be the case um, before if he if he did depart. So worth just, just making that clear as well. Um, Sam, just to come on to the successor point, obviously very difficult to pin you down to names, which I won't do. But in terms of, of profile of appointment, what, what is it that Norwich City need? What What is the characteristics of an incoming sporting director that you feel would be able to drive Murray City forward at, at this stage? I think it's similar to what I've spoken about previously with the players that I wanted to see this summer. And I, I want to see somebody who's got something to prove maybe and somebody who isn't necessarily just there because they've sort of done it before. I think Right across football, there's a trend and there has been for probably a few decades of appointing people who've been there and done it before. And um, I don't want to dig out Norwich City's transfer strategy too much this summer, but I don't think they should go down that route um, with the sporting director in terms of just basing it on experience and things like that, because they did that with Jez Moxie. Um, and we all know how, how well that went in the end. I think what the club needs at the moment and... This is probably similar to what Stuart Webber brought upon his arrival, is somebody who is on their way up and somebody who is hungry and keen to prove something. And I think that's part of why things have gone so badly for Stuart Webber over the last couple of years, because he now is already seen as a sort of super sporting director. He's already one of the names in English football. Probably if you, if you ask the average football fan, or maybe not the average football fan, but the probably a slightly more inquisitive football fan to name five sporting directors, I would say 90% of people that could answer that question would have Stuart Webber in there. And he's made himself one of those names, even at a club like Norwich. And I think they don't, I don't think they need that. I don't think they need somebody who's already a name and who's already talked about and maybe has a bit of a legacy to protect. I think they, they need somebody who's a little bit fearless, like Webber was coming in and getting rid of experienced big names and and he spoke a lot about um in on a recent podcast i think it was the training ground guru about 
change management and how good he is at that. I think what Norwich really need, if they're going to totally turn around the atmosphere, because there are still plenty of problems for them to solve even after they've brought in three signings, is somebody who's not afraid to come in and make that complete shift in momentum. I don't think they need somebody to come in and make subtle tweaks. Perhaps if Weber had left in 2019, it would have been absolutely ideal to have somebody who just comes in and makes subtle changes, but that's not the position they're in. The position they're in is one which nobody wants to be in um, at the club at the moment, and I think they need somebody who can who can come in and change that, and um, that might be quite difficult, but I think to, to give you a, a sort of example in wider football, and this isn't with the sporting director, but you look at Tottenham, right, and I think they've had this same sort of reaction that I think Weber has when he's gone for Dean Smith and they've gone with Mourinho and Conte and then they've ended up with Ange Postacoglu. And I think that's the sort of thing that probably Norwich want to do or that I would like to see from Norwich this summer and that I think could turn things around for them. Don't be so bothered about the size of the clubs they've been at before and the experience and things like that. I think they need to look at the attributes, the personality that's coming into Colney and how big of a change that person is willing to make and is able to make because make no mistake about it, they can bring in three free signings, but that isn't going to make all the changes that that take them from 13th in the Championship to promotion because that's where this club wants to be every single time it's in the second division. So I think that's the sort of profile I'd go for, but admittedly picking somebody out there is quite difficult and... Um, Delia and Michael aren't football experts. They've never claimed to be football experts. And as much as I'm sure they'll have help with it, and maybe even Stuart Webber will play a role in this, finding the person to do that and picking somebody out um, from maybe a, a, a slightly less obvious background is going to be quite difficult. So probably my demands are a little bit harsh. But, um, yeah, I think those are the main attributes I'd be looking for. And it's quite clear in my mind what Norwich need at the moment. Paddy, I'll throw that one to you as well because it's a, a really different role that they're kind of recruiting for than than it was in in 2017 when Weber came in, right? When it was about uh, kind of ripping everything up, starting again, building processes. I mean, he's spoken in in interviews that he's done since departing the club about how it was a League One facility, how you know the squad needed overhauling, which you know, and you, and you put this to him uh, when you spoke to him late May about whether the squad was in a similar place to it was in, in, in when he first took over and there was a need for a rebuild and he essentially agreed with that assessment. So it's a big job, but there's perhaps more expectation around it than there was when he arrived initially. So, I mean, where, where are Norwich City at? Are, are Norwich heading back to a period where they're going to have to sort of say they're in transition again? Is it Are they going to be able to hit the ground running? I mean, where do you feel they are in terms of, as a football club at the moment, with obviously a new sporting director, going to appear at some stage? Well, I mean, for me, uh, yeah, you're right. He, he did agree more or less that what he'd inherited on the playing, the very narrow strata of his remit that was the playing squad in 17, not dissimilar. And and you, to draw a parallel, I mean, that group of players, it was Alan Irvin who completed that season. I think they finished seventh, was it, or eighth? eighth um, yeah. Considerably better than 13th, you know, despite him in that round of media at the end of the season. Packaging it, they all went, almost went down to the wire. And if they'd got the result at West Brom in the penultimate game, I, I don't think many shared those sentiments. I think from a long way out post Millwall, it was clear how that season was going to play out. Um, so I, I think in terms of the playing side, they are in transition, absolutely. And um, and Wagner himself 
said it to us, I think it was, towards the end of the season. It takes it's, This will, will take more than one window. There's not going to be uh, magic beans thrown around and um, in one transfer window. Norwich are turned into a, from a rabble, let's be honest, um, mid-table rabble in the championship to uh, attacking the top two, even possibly attacking the top six. I, I think, um, allied to what we've already said about the quality of team it looks like are going to be in the championship next season, um, I, d- I don't see it any other than a transitional season, and it and it might take you know, however many attempts from here, rather than you know, a belief, a real belief, a real firm belief that come the start of next season that Norwich will have done sufficient amounts of surgery to that squad to anybody realistically feeling they're a top six outfit. Not for me. So, um, so in that part of of his his legacy, then you have to you have to be honest and and he's the first to admit it that you know there is work ahead but and this is your point connor that in terms of what they're looking for now in 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 his replacement it is different to what they looked for when they appointed him because the whole infrastructural element of his legacy the training ground the uh, the academy even people will will debate whether it's churning out the quality of young player that it has done in uh, more recent iterations, but I mean, he would obviously shoot back about the the, the amount of academy minutes last season um, in terms of the football league. They were fourth, I think he said, in terms of under twenties getting exposure in the football league. So, um, and he would list a John Rowe. He would list, um, you know, Omabama Daly to to a lesser extent, but Liam Gibbs. There's a good example. You know that there are potential players coming through um, to underscore that as a pillar, the, the academy and the training ground. Uh, well, it's night and day from what he inherited. So, by definition, whoever replaces him in the role isn't necessarily going to have to be strong in those infrastructural, big picture um, parts of the remit. Uh, and that might be just hypothesizing where maybe Neil Adams will will fit into this mix moving forward. That the technical director, as they envisage it, is more managing the day to day and almost a football operations type role. Therefore, allowing the the sporting director to really zone in on assisting Wagner uh, in in what matters most, which is that shop window. It's finding players to play a brand of football that wins games that makes them competitive at the right end of the championship. I think we'd all agree, and Weber himself was the first to admit it when I put it to him in those interviews, that on the last two seasons on the pitch, they failed. By his own measure, they have failed. And that's the priority now, ultimately. And that's why I think while looking for a lot of the same qualities that they were looking for when they appointed Stuart Webber, there probably has got to be a greater focus on purely on the footballing dimension of this role um, because there's a lot of other elements that are already in place now, which wasn't the case in 2017. And one other point, I think we've not touched on it yet, but of course the backstop to all this is what's happening with the ownership and you know the, what we all expect to happen over this summer in terms of confirmation of transfers of more shares to the Atanasio grouping and how that alters the dynamic, not only in the boardroom, but in terms of the voices, the leading voices in this club and what they want and how they, they see the future. You know, all that has to play into it and you can be sure they will be having huge amounts of input in this process in the background. So so that's a factor that we also have to, to bear in mind as well. But yeah, for me, um, there's no doubt whatsoever that, it, that if you can look at Stuart Webber's legacy, you split it right down the middle and, and there's the non-footballing side of his work. Nobody can debate tremendous legacy um, in terms of what he has overseen in six years or so. But on the footballing side, um, the shop window, then, you know, are they any further forward than what he inherited? And 13th place in the championship as opposed to seventh would suggest not. 
No, and, and and Sam, that seems like a good point to discuss his his legacy, really, because he vowed to be the the man, I guess, to take Norwich City into the into the Premier League, which he did, obviously, on two occasions. But crucially, he couldn't keep them there. You look at previous figures who have been in similar roles, obviously, in different structures. David McNally kept them at Premier League level for for a little while. Others have done in the, in the past as well. Robert Chase, I know, is he's someone that we've spoken a lot about um, after his, his his passing earlier in the year. So it, it it is it is interesting around Stuart Webber because his legacy, which will ultimately be uh, the training ground and how well that's come on. But in terms of on the pitch, maybe not quite the way that he would have liked it to end. When you know he was very clear that he wanted to leave Norwich City as a club sitting pretty in the Premier League. Ultimately, that's certainly not going to be the case by the time he he departs, whenever that may be. No, that's true, and it's it's something I'm actually writing a piece about at the moment, and I think. That's actually something that probably people will will use as a barometer for his, his success. But increasingly over time, he's used the measuring stick of um, being leaving the club in a better situation than when he arrived. And I suppose it depends what you you look at look at for that. To be honest, because on the pitch. I would say, as I said earlier, this is a weaker squad than the one that he inherited. Um, it's obviously finished, I think, five places below the 2016-17 one. But as Paddy spoke about, there is that training ground and that long-term permanent improvement that Stuart Webber's made. And he's spoken about it, and it's clearly something that he's very proud of because he's spoken about it again, I think, in, in his interview with um, John Percy discussing his departure from Norwich and it's clearly something that he feels needed to be done but um, at the end of the day football fans care about results and the fact is he's left or resigned from his position um, after the second worst finish in his time at the club I think with the context it's by far the worst obviously there was that 14th placed in 2017-18 but that was very much a transitional season and everybody understood that it was um, so I think there will be ways that he can justify to himself that he's left the club in a better place that he than the one he inherited and I think he's actually said that so by his own standards he obviously feels that it's an okay time to leave and he doesn't have any regrets about how it's ended but yeah, as you spoke about, there was always this five-year plan and this idea that the end goal was to get Norwich in the Premier League and keep them there. And um, he hasn't managed to do that. And he wouldn't even have been the first person to, to do that, even in recent history, because obviously they had those three years in the Premier League between 2011 and 2014. So I think that will be a great source of disappointment for him. I'm not sure he'll speak about it too much publicly or admit that, but... I think every Norwich fan now sees that as the sort of end goal. And obviously, after you've stayed up for one season, you have to then make that last. But it feels like, at least for now, Norwich's cup final is staying in the Premier League um, for for a sustained period of time. And I think Weber will be quite disappointed that he hasn't been able to do that. And for me, it's quite worrying because he's clearly quite a capable person. And yes, he's made mistakes. And yes, the recruitment has been poor in in recent windows but if Stuart Webber can't do it given how much change he clearly made and you look back at that 2019 promotion um, and he was probably one of the, the biggest 
modern legends of the football club at the time and he wasn't able to to do that and that probably does leave quite a bit of worry because it's not even like he took them to the brink and now they just need somebody to, to push them over the edge now somebody else needs to come in who maybe hasn't proven themselves as much as Weber has and hasn't shown that they are a very capable sporting director and needs to take them from 13th in the championship to staying in the Premier League which is going to be I would suggest quite a difficult task so the fact that he wasn't able to do that is quite worrying for the future and yeah like you say I think that will be a source of frustration for him when he looks back on his time at Norwich but I think being a sporting director makes it slightly less black and white when you look at your achievements because they have to oversee mid-term and long-term as well as a little bit of short-term as well um, I think it's very very difficult to just see it as success or failure I wouldn't like to to jump either side of the fence to be honest when I look back on his time at Norwich because he speaks about permanent achievements and it's true that there there will be memory and I, I would speak about memories more than trophies because I, I wouldn't say that the championship is a really a major trophy but he's certainly created memories for Norwich fans that they're not going to lose and he's created some fantastic moments and seasons in the history of this football club so I think there's a lot for him to look back on and be proud of but yeah, it's it's very difficult really to look outside the grey area, especially when you frame it with that context of obviously failing to to stay in the Premier League at any point. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that in that in that interview that you referenced in the um, in the, in the Telegraph, he he used the phrase "I feel my job is done," which is um, which is really really interesting because I'm I'm not sure that 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 others would would necessarily agree with him. Um, Paddy, I mean, as as Sam said there, I mean Stuart Webber, there's there's, pro, there's a hell of a lot of nuance to attach to this because some successes in in areas such as recruitment and uh, I use that term in, in referring to obviously their work in South America post Brexit and bringing a play, bringing two players directly from South America, which a few years ago were not not even possible due to the the Brexit regulations, the the kind of connections and relationships and the fact they've got two employed members of staff. Um, full time, who who cover that region is is incredibly um, incredibly progressive. Really, obviously, the the work that's been done to reconnect the academy with the first team. Obviously, a lot of those players who have come through um, were at the football club before him, um, but that bridge still needed to be built, and they still needed to help the players get across it. So he's he's done that tremendously well. The championship successes alongside Daniel Farker. Um, obviously the, the the training ground and the renovation of that loads and loads of successes that we could list here individual recruitment successes as well like Temi Puki Emi Buendia whoever you you specifically um want to give credit for for that he was ultimately the man overseeing that recruitment process that led to them coming to Norwich City also an incredibly divisive figure in terms of his tone in a lot of interviews some of his comments the way he would speak about fans um in, in, publicly in the media um media relations communications we could we could talk about various elements obviously recruitment decisions more broadly in the last 18 months the decision not to part company with dean smith sooner than um than perhaps a lot of people felt was needed to be the case that the general kind of culture around the club in the last 12 months or so i mean you you wrote towards the end of the last season about how maybe the weber brand had become had gone from intoxicating to toxic and and that maybe feels maybe like the journey that he's that he's been on i guess that that kind of sums it up really doesn't it it's that nuance that's how he's going to be remembered as as an incredibly divisive character that people maybe even even like or or, or really don't like and and maybe there's no in between to those i don't know what i mean what's your thoughts on on his legacy more generally 
Well, I mean, as you say, um, there was no in-between with him. There was no shades of grey or beige. Uh, you were either with him or against him at various points and probably flip-flopped as well um, for all the reasons you've mapped out there. Yeah, it's as a, as a body of work, as, a, as an impact, it probably will be unrivaled in certainly in the modern history of Norwich. I mean, figures like Chase, of course, and you know, one or two others you could probably sort of pick out in your own minds who've been hugely important and left a huge mark on this football club, but none bigger, I'd say, than Stuart Webber and, and for good and for bad. And legacy, legacy is for people to decide whatever elements they attach is more important than 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 others might or rearrange them in, in a different order. So, you know, that's a subjective thing. I, I think the, the, the training round, you know, the work there, the work in the academy, they will span well beyond... Um, you know, whatever unfolds maybe this season, next season, in terms of the, the, what happened on the pitch. So, you know, legacy, I always, in my mind, is kind of, it's beyond three points. It's beyond the promotion or a relegation. It's, you know, as he said, his own measure. He will leave the club and his successor a better hand and in a better place than what he inherited in 2017. And I think overall, if you pulled all the strands together... I don't see how you could dispute that. The, the, the Stuart Webber's successor does inherit a far better, more progressive club. No means perfect. We know that. We all know that. We, we, you've mapped out a lot of the areas where there is cause for concern, rightly, um, football inside and non-football inside. But you know, it's easy to forget now that they were in a real state 2017 financially. I mean, the James Madison sale of the end of that first season, that stops the club going to the wall. It was a bleak time. And, and it's easy to overlook how low they'd fallen when he walked through the door and, and how high he took them in tandem with Daniel, in tandem with that group of players and the fans and everybody in, in, involved. So, you know, while the last 12, 18 months, as you say, the communication element, um, the divisiveness will will taint the legacy in the here and now, I, I think, with, with the passage of time and, and distance. And it, it's a little bit akin to how Daniel Farker's remembered now, you know, when when things were as poor as they've been, certainly under Dean Smith and, and towards the end of the season under Wagner, you know, Farkin begins to continue or, or continues for some, but begins to take on for others. This mythical um, godlike figure who, who brought a, a winning brand of attractive football that, that, you know, took them to the Premier League, not once, but twice. And, 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 and the elements that, that were clearly beyond him, i.e. keeping a team there and, and being residually effective in, in the Premier League that they sit, tend to drop down the pecking order, depending what where we are and what's happening at this moment in time. And, and it'll be the same with Weber. And you can already start to see that in the hours since the statement uh, was put out, that you know there will be those who will, will latch on to the negative elements around him as an individual and his impact in certain areas of Norwich City Football Club. But there'll also be those who will talk up, you know, the transformational impact he had. He was an agent for change and, and it was uncomfortable and not everybody liked it at certain periods. But you cannot dispute that he's made a huge impact on where this club has evolved in the last six years. And you know, I mean, in terms of the recruitment, well, I mean, he's you know, he's if you go on his LinkedIn page, he's put his own rather personal statement on there in, in the aftermath of the club's statement. And you know, the standout line for me was, "This is Stuart Weber." To paraphrase him, player recruitment remains the toughest part of the job, and I accept that mistakes have been made along this journey. It keeps me awake at night because it's the most difficult area to master as a sporting director. That is brutally unvarnished honesty. And, 
as he said to us, and he probably said it in one or two of the other round of interviews he did, when he's gone and when he's in, the incumbent comes in who maybe doesn't want to do media and isn't public-facing and and doesn't really want to communicate in the same fashion he did, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll you know, reflect on, well, I wish Stuart Webber was here to tell, telling us how it was and, and how he saw it, whether you liked what he said or not. At least you knew where he stood, albeit, as we all know, there was there was probably a... A, a, a hiatus that was far too long in terms of communicating the messages from how he was at the early part of his reign to in the last portion, 12, 18 months or so. Um, but, you know, there is a self-awareness about him and he wasn't perfect. He admits it himself. It, you know, he's admitted it in that statement there. He admitted it in, in the round of interviews he did at the end of the season. He made mistakes. Um, but clearly he always tried to do it with the best interest of Norwich at heart. And, you know he will. He will. I'm sure wherever he goes on, um, he won't change because that seems to be a, an affront to him to tone it down to try and be something that people would rather he is rather than what he is and being true to himself. So he will continue, I'm sure, to to be an abrasive, outspoken character and rub people up the wrong way. But you know, if he finds the right club and the right environment, as he did in 2017, it can also work the other way and it can spark something. Um, so it's going to be really fascinating to see where he does pitch up. But you know, in terms of legacy. I don't think we can sit here three, four hours recording this after the confirmation that he will depart in short order um, and really and really sit down and ink in what Stuart Webber's legacy at Norwich it is. That will continue to evolve in the passage of time. Um, but I think what you can say indisputably is he has made an, a significant impact in the last six years of this football club's life cycle for good and for bad. Yep, absolutely. And uh, that probably brings us on to a few other bits to talk about. Obviously, since we, we last recorded a podcast, Norwich have, have made two signings, uh, Jack Stacey and, and Shane Duffy, uh, obviously in the building alongside Ashley Barnes, probably a, a couple more on on the way in due course as well. Um, probably not going to have time to really go into any detail on those two signings, but I would recommend that you go and uh, head over to our YouTube channel. Um, our colleague Adam Harvey's done two excellent chats with um, with, with two experts on both of those players to provide an insight on what they uh, they may well bring to Norwich City next season. Norwich City have obviously announced some, uh, or the skeleton, I guess, of their pre-season campaign, which we now know starts on July the 4th away at Barnet at the Hive in London before then a trip to Kings Lynn. Uh, then a sort of mini tour, I guess, of Germany, which will include games against Christoph Zimmermann's Darmstadt and uh, Kaiserslautern. They're also heading on a tour sorry, to Austria, which um, we're still waiting for confirmation, but the expectation is that will in include a game as well. And of course, uh, they've also announced that they will host a Cow Road friendly this year, which is the first time for a, for a couple of years, I think, because they were, uh, were they doing work? Or, no, there was concerts, weren't there, I think, that, that prevented them from doing what they needed to do last year in order for them to play one. So um, obviously Spanish side, Las Palmas, of uh, their president has essentially confirmed they're playing Norwich in England as part of their pre-season schedule and uh, there's been relative sort of tie-ups uh, between the club made I think they, their, their officials visited Carrow Road last November so that would make a lot of sense but that's that's yet to be confirmed by the club itself also expect probably one or two more um, friendly games to be announced in due course as well so worth keeping an eye on that front um Sam, I mean, how how are you enjoying the the hot weather? Are you are you someone who relishes in this kind of weather? I'm, I've I've got the wrong hair colour for it, so it's it's not really for me to be honest. How, how much do you enjoy it, or not? Uh, yeah, I can take it or leave it. Really, um, it's I think I'm I enjoy it up to a point, but it got to a point yesterday. I'd I'd done enough lounging around in the garden, um, and I thought actually I wouldn't mind a nice little eighteen degrees at this point, but um. 
yeah, I've been I've been trying to embrace it. Me and my friend Ollie, we um put lemon in our hair yesterday, see if it would uh, bleach it in the sun. Didn't work, so I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. But uh, yeah, I just had sticky hair. But apart from that, I've been um yeah, I've been inside a lot really, so pretty boring to be honest. If only if only Stuart Webber hadn't hadn't left today, I could have been sat doing my work in the garden. But you know, too too much of a busy day. I've been inside the whole time. How how have you boys been enjoying it? Apart from obviously Paddy doing all of his his work outside. I I have not been enjoying it at all. Um, <laughs> my my the last few days for me has consisted in front of, basically of having a fan next to me and having it on me at all times, um, which you know probably isn't doing much for the, <laughs> the electric, but uh, it's it's preventing me from slipping into an absolutely foul mood because I don't I don't do heat to be honest so that's not good I mean Paddy back to the sun lounger for you after after this Connor we had this at the very outset there's been no sun lounger I can assure basically I'm trying to convince a three-year-old of the merits of uh, sun cream factor 50 he's very resistant uh, to it so that's essentially my day is making sure that he has some applied before he goes to nursery and then uh, on days off ensuring he uh, he he is willing to take it again. So, yeah, no, I'm quite looking forward to coming back to work, actually. Um, going to go and see Mr. Springsteen playing Villa Park on uh, this Friday. So I'm going to go off down there. I might see Dino there. If I do, I'll have a, have a word with him, see how he's getting on. He'll be, he'll um, be on the golf course, won't he? Yeah, maybe I'll have a game in the Belfry before. I think I don't think Springsteen's <laughs> on until late in the evening. Talking of which, uh, you was, am I right in saying you and Mr. Harvey were at the Monkeys, mate? How did that we go? were we were not together. I hasten to add, unfortunately, but yeah, we were there. Very probably the best Carrow performance I've seen this season. Very good, um, and you know I'll try and resist it. Oh, they left with a point or whatever. But yeah, no, it was very good. Uh, they played all the big ones, so that's that's the main thing, isn't it? Um, I, I also, as a fun fact, I, I wanted to save this for the podcast. I uh, I abseiled off the forum recently. I don't know if you if you guys uh, I saw, saw a this. picture. Yeah, what was that about? Uh, well. Story so a, good, a good friend of mine who I will name check called uh, called Ash Bunn, um, who works at my Norfolk, uh, asked me if I would uh, come along and do it, uh, which, to be honest, is one of the most random messages I've ever received in my life, which is basically, do you, want to, do you fancy coming and abseiling off the forum tomorrow, um, which is as it was. And uh, as someone who's petrified at heights, like to the point where you had to walk through the, the inner sanctum of the forum and you came out on like this, this sort of balcony is, is the best way to describe it. And, you know, you've got all the people who, who else are doing it, looking over the edge and all of that. And I couldn't even like leave the doors from where I was stood. I couldn't even walk out to the platform because it was too high for me. And then there was the kind of moment where you have to kind of step onto the edge of a, of a building, basically, and then and then lean back. And everything in your brain is telling you, why are you doing this? Stop doing this. This is not natural. Uh, but I, I did it in the end and I got down. Probably the slowest abseil in the world. I think I took about... Uh, two and a half minutes to get down what was not a massive piece of uh, piece of wall but um that was that was quite something and uh, they've they've also got a i think they've got a, like a skydive coming up which i've absolutely ruled myself out of not a chance of getting me out of one of those so uh so, so yeah that was that was good fun um and i've i've also got a trip to legoland planned next week as uh, I, i'm set to to head off for for two weeks which is god knows what will be the case for by the time i come back but there we go um Enjoy your, your last few days, Pad. I don't know if you've got, well, apart from Bruce Springsteen, I don't know if you've got anything else in particular planned, but apart there we go. from, I mean, that is the highlight of my two weeks off. That's that's the, how I roll. What day boss. is that? What day yeah. is that you're going to see him before? Friday, this Friday. Yeah, this are Friday. You on, are you is on that, the pitch a, or in the stand? I think I'm on the pitch. Yeah, basically, yeah. my sister got it. The, the very, well, people will find it's very boring, but I'm going to tell the story now. I've gone down the route, <laughs> but uh, my sister 
because I've seen him quite a few times in the, in this country, probably about half a dozen times now live. And um, she super fan. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but I mean, she uh, asked my wife, "Were we getting tickets?" Um, because she wanted to get me a surprise one for my birthday. So I, unbeknownst to her, I'd already got tickets for Hyde Park for me and my wife. So, and that's in July. So I've ended up going twice, which for me is, you know, that's it's not an onerous task to go and see him twice. It's a bit excessive though, twice in the space of about three weeks. But uh, I couldn't actually let on because that would have then blown the surprise for my wife. So. Um, it's a tangled web, but basically what it boils down to is I'll be seeing the boss um, before we see who the real boss is who's coming in. It's to hey. before the season starts. There we go. Yeah. End it there, Connor. End Do you know, there. I was, I was going to ask you another question, but I'm not even going to bother it now. You've, you've done my <laughs> outro. You've done my outro for me. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we, As we say, a bit of an emergency pod reacting to the news, obviously, that Stuart Webber uh, is set to depart. Norwich City in due course. I hope you're all having a lovely summer and enjoying the weather. Uh, I don't know what there is to enjoy about the weather, but it, I hope you are enjoying it in, in whichever way you can. And we will catch up with you again very, very soon. Pre-season is around the corner. It feels like we're obviously fixed to release day next week. So uh, we're, we're beginning now. The, the wheels are beginning to turn on the on the new campaign, which is great stuff. Of course, uh, plenty of content across our channels reacting to this news uh, and that is, will be the case in, in the next few days as well. Enjoy the sunshine and we'll see you again very, very soon.